Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to just bless this time as we look at this psalm that's about your word and, and your care for us and your, what the word does. We ask you to lead us and guide us. We thank you for each person that's here today and you're, ask for your spirit to be fallen upon us in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 119. This is the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible. It pretty much right is in the middle of the Bible as well. And it's only 176 verses long. It is a poem and it's an acrostic poem. Is most of your Bibles will, ch will show you the Hebrew alphabet every eight verses, every every eight verses, because it is in Hebrew, the first eight verses all start with the letter Aleph. In the in the next eight verses start with the letter Beth and the next eight start with Gamel, uh, Gimel and all the way through so in our case it would be like eight verses starting with A, eight verses starting with B, eight verses starting with C. We don't see it in English obviously because it doesn't necessarily translate the same same way uh, but it is a very interesting one it has been said, and I have not been able to prove it, that every single verse in here is about God's word. There's about three of them that, at least in English, do not appear to be. But as we go through this, I'll be able to verify whether there's another word somewhere in there that you know, shows that it is God's word that's just not translated that way in English. Isn't that, when you say the first thing, isn't that something to say? Isn't Hebrew, the alphabet, how you say it, we're talking about? Yes, yes. In, in Hebrew, this would all... The first eight would all start with our equivalent A, Aleph, and then B, uh, Beth, and then Gimel, or which we would say G, they would say, yeah. So it is, it is a poem. It is, in their language, a, an acrostic poem. And there's other ones that do. This is the one that is the big one that everybody kind of knows that. Acrostic? Just means that the first letter starts with, every, every word on that first letter starts with, Usually you would see it, the first letter is A, the second letter, you know, second let, uh, sentence would be B. Well, just, this, is, this poem is set up that way. All, all nations, all languages seem to have this ability to do an acrostic poem. This one is just an acrostic poem in the Hebrew, every eight verses. So we're going to look at this, this chapter. Don't know how long it'll take us to get through it, but it'll be a while. Uh, <laughs> so the first eight verses we're going to read, and it is Aleph, or the letter A. Aleph in Hebrew also has the meaning behind it of strength and leadership. And one thing you'll notice about these verses in here as it starts with Aleph is that many of them are about strength and leaders, or, or being lead. It, strength and leadership is attached to the letter A in Hebrew. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with their whole heart. They also that do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed that when I have respect unto your commandments. I will praise you with the uprightness of heart when I... When I shall have learned your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes, O oh, forsake me not utterly. So we look at this, and we are going to examine this. It says, blessed are the undefiled in the way. Blessed, people that are giving thanks, laud, praise. We've talked about this in other psalms. When it says blessed, it has this idea of happy, but it also has this idea of giving praise and exaltation to God and this is something that's very important is do we live a life that praises and exalts God and in here he's going to tell us what it takes to do that he says that are undefiled complete sound now this is kind of one of those things that are speaking in the spiritual sense because nobody is truly undefiled and complete uh, in their own day-to-day -day walk, but if they're following God, they've, you know, in this case, offered their sacrifices, or in our case, come to Christ. God sees us as undefiled. Once Bless. It, once it's walked according to the law of the Lord. Um, Blessings are those who are 
Well, blameless is undefiled. Yeah, blameless would, would be undefiled. And it says, in the way. Those that are undefiled in the way. And way literally means your walk. How do you walk? How, as you're going from place to place. This is where we talk about people are looking at us as Christians. They examine our life. They check out, are we living the way that we say we're living? And this is something that is very important for us to understand. We as Christians sometimes take it too lightly. Uh, you know, well, I'm forgiven. God's going to forgive me. No big deal how I live. And on one side of the coin, that is a true statement. I am forgiven because I am in Christ. I am going to heaven if I'm in Christ. Now, if I can live the way I want without any kind of condemnation, I'm probably not saved. Because God says he disciplines his children. But people look at your life. Now, they look at us with very critical examination most of the time. Well, how can you be a Christian when you do? <laughs> okay, they may go too far the other direction, but we need to kind of be in the center of that road where I take it serious, the walk that I have. Not because I'm trying to please God, not because I'm trying to do anything, but because people are watching. I need to live up to God's standards because people are watching. And then it says in the rest of the second half, who walk in the law of the Lord? The law, his rules, his testimony, his instructions. God gives us instructions. And many of the instructions in the Bible we've talked about are in the imperative. They're commandments. We, we don't necessarily read them like that. When Jesus said, go into all the world preaching and teaching and making disciples, that is an imperative. It is a command. It's not, I suggest to you to go do these things. All right? He is commanding us. Now, most Christians treat it as, well, he suggested that we go witness to the world. It's no big deal if I don't. But he commanded it. He said, you are to do this. If you're truly my disciple, you are to go out and do this. And these are what it says. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord, the ways of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord. Very important for us to be able to consider that. Blessed are they that keep his testimony and that seek him with their whole heart. Again, we have this blessed. Now, this blessed is a little different because it is not to give laud. It is the idea of to kneel. Kneel and bow before. To kneel and bow. So kneel and bow. Blessed are they that keep his testimony, that guard, keep, when you see the word keep in most of the Psalms, it literally means to guard, to, to literally make sure that it is going to be followed. And it says, blessed are they that keep or guard his testimonies. And testimonies are, his, again, his instructions, his, his uh, it's, uh, in this word, let's look, I'm going to read you exactly what it came out of the book. It, the word for testimony in Hebrew is something that's always in plural and always speaks of the laws as divine testimony. All right? When it talks about the testimonies in the scripture, it's talking about God's word. It is divine word that he speaks. The Bible is the testimony of God. It tells us how to live. It tells us who he is. It tells us what he has done. And it is that strong testimony, just as if he was sitting on the, the courtroom of heaven giving testimony from the t witness chair. The Bible is his testimony. And we want to keep that in mind. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, guard his testimonies, and seek him with their whole heart. This seek literally means to make inquiries, to search diligently. All right, and we do it with our whole heart, the innermost being of who we are. And this is why it's, you can tell who is truly seeking God with their innermost being of who they are. Because eventually they're going to talk about what they're learning about God. Because if, we, if you're seeking for something, that's what you end up talking about. Now, uh, if you're into sports, if your team is getting ready to play in the playoffs or the, or the big game, whatever that is, the Super Bowl, the, the World Series, the... The Stanley, the Stanley Cup, whatever it might be, the, the golfing one right now. They're playing the, the big tournament in the open right now. Huh? 
yeah, the US Open. You know, if you're into any of those sports and your team is there, or the person you like is there, it will usually come up in your conversation that, you know, hey, you know, my team is, is playing for the playoffs. I'm really excited. What excites us? Does God excite us? Does his word excite us? Does his law excite us? Does his testimony excite us? We know by what we speak about. Verse 3 says, they also do no iniquity. They walk, they walk in his ways. You know, if we're walking in the ways of God, it's very hard to sin. If you're literally walking the way that God says to walk, you're not going to be sinning. When we're sinning, we're not walking in his ways. It's just an automatic either or. And we've got to keep this in mind. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's the way, and he is the truth. God gives us truth. And we've talked many times about this. Satan gives us many lies for every truth that God gives us. Many. But they're all lies. Okay, we want to keep that in mind. Anything that's not God's truth is a lie. No matter how close it is to the truth without being the truth, it's still a lie. What does the world like to tell you? Well, you Christians are terrible. You see everything in just black and white. It's either good or it's bad. And I go, you're absolutely right. That's how God sees the world. It's right or it's wrong. There may be lots of different ways to do wrong, but they are all wrong. And the world wants to say, well, this one is really bad. You know, it's really black. But there's all these gray areas in between that you can, you can do these and not be really bad. No. You've got the right and you've got the wrong. And the world wants to shade this. When you talk to them about telling the truth, what will they tell you? Well, if you don't, you, if you don't say something that you're supposed to say, you're, you're not really lying. You're just admitting facts. God says that's a lie. They say it's okay. The world will try to tell you it's okay not to say the whole truth. And, you know, well, I just said it uh, a little white lie. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. So even though it's not the truth, I didn't speak, you know, I didn't want to say it. So it's really not that bad. It's still not the truth. Now, does that mean we have to hurt people's feelings when we say something? No, we can, you know, there's ways to say things that people aren't going to be liking that doesn't come across as an attack or hurting. All right? We just want to be careful. If we speak our words with love, very hard things can be said sometimes. If you're trying to correct somebody's actions and you speak it in love and kindness, you can say some pretty hard things and they will be accepted without trying to make them look bad or feel bad. Sometimes people go, well, you know, you're doing this wrong, and I just, I, I want you to know that I saw you. Well, there's no love in that statement. You may be correcting them, but you're not showing any love. But if you come up to them, you know, I'm really concerned about you because I've watched you doing these things, and I'm just letting you know I'm, I'm praying that God will help you. There's love in that statement. There's love in that statement. You're still saying the same thing, but you're showing a loving heart toward them. And we look at this, you know, if we're walking in his ways, we won't commit iniquity. And this is why it's so important to be in his word diligently. Diligently being in his word. <laughs> I'm wondering the same thing. <laughs> Verse 4, you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, this is such an interesting. He has commanded. He has instructed. He has told us to do so. And it says to keep, guard his precepts. Precepts is an interesting word. It really is a rule of action or a rule of behavior. And it talks about God's word, his precepts. What has God told us to do? He tells us to, he commands us to keep, guard his precepts diligently. And that holds an idea of always going out and doing what we're told. 
Now, we're not trying all of this to try to put a guilt trip on people, but you know, most of us have trouble diligently keeping his word. We, we, stin, we, we go out with the right feelings, we have the right things, and then we get caught up. We get caught up in doing things our way. Mine, mine the easier word for me, it says obey, obey. In place of which word? Precepts? No, no, not precepts, the other one. He has commanded us to keep? Diligently. Or diligently. I couldn't say it right. Mine says obedience. I'm not sure that I would put obedience in, in place of diligent. Uh, because you can be obedient without being diligent. You know, we've seen that uh, the old story of a, a boy, little boy being punished. He's sitting in the corner. And what does he say to his mom and dad? I'm sitting in my, here, but I'm, I'm, my mind, I'm running around. Okay. He's being obedient, but he is not diligently being obedient. Uh, he's not learning his lesson from his discipline. Uh, so I don't know that I would use diligent means to be, to work at, to strive at doing something. Uh, if I diligently want to dig a hole, I'm going to keep digging that hole until that hole is done. Could another word be you're focusing on doing the right way? I'm just trying to Focus would be okay. Focus would be okay as long as you know, and, or as long as your focusing yeah, is. Diligent, I don't know that. I didn't. That's hard for me to say. Yeah, because I could, I could say I'm digging a hole, and it takes me a year to dig the hole. Okay, I go dig six inches today, and then two, in, two months later, I come and dig another six inches, and you know, a month and a half later, I dig a foot, and uh, you know, I've dug a hole. I've been obedient. You told me to dig a hole. I dug the hole. It took me a year to do it. Right. Diligent would be, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to dig that hole yeah. now until it's done. Okay, and that's what diligence is. It means to really be actively pursuing it, and, and this is what he's saying. You live commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. I'm going to actively pursue your precepts, God. I'm going to, you've told me to do these things. I'm going to do them. And that would help us. If we started actively being diligent to keep his precepts, God, good morning, God. I, you know, help me to be obedient to you today. And then the first time our hardship comes along, uh, God, uh, you, you know, I need you to help me. I need you to help me undoing this. Because if we're not being diligent, then the first time we get tested, we stop doing it. Verse 5. Diligent, D-I-L-I-G-E-N-T. Verse 5. Oh, keep my way, oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Here's a prayer. God, I ask you to keep and direct my ways and to keep your statutes, your rules, your instructions. This should be our prayer. Every day, every morning, every activity, God, keep my ways. God, help me to go the direction you want to keep your statutes. And there are so many Christians who kind of just meander through this world and, well, if I serve God today, okay. If I don't serve him, okay. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. It's really no big deal. If I share, my, share the gospel, no big deal. God has rules. We're supposed to be very different. We're told in the New Testament we are ambassadors for Christ. We are to be ambassadors. And ambassadors are somebody who represents their country in a foreign country. We as Christians live in a foreign country, a foreign world. This world is not our home. We will never feel comfortable in this world, or we should never feel comfortable in this world, because this is not home. If you've ever traveled around the world into different countries, you get into these other countries and they're fascinating, they're interesting, but in the back of your mind, you're always aware this is not home, okay? It is not home, it is different from home. I, I've shared the story when my dad was trying to buy steaks in Scotland and he wanted an American steak, a half inch to an inch thick, and the butcher just couldn't bring himself 
to cut a stake that big because it wasn't what was normal there. You know, my dad's wanting an American steak. He's cutting him little thin strips that cook up in, you know, in no time at all. And, you know, that's something that's kind of a silly thing, but it really is as an example of the differences between countries. My dad first moved to Ecuador as a missionary, and to get his stuff off the docks, they wanted a bribe. And for six months, he would not participate in giving them a bribe until he realized that he wasn't getting his stuff until he gave them the three or four dollars <laughs> that they wanted <laughs> to let it off the dock. Okay? The difference in the way the countries work. And, you know, he looked at it as just being dishonest. They looked at it as part of their business. You weren't, he was not getting his stuff off that dock until he was willing to pay the, you know, three or four dollars of bribe, which was a lot of money to them, but to him it wasn't that big a deal. But again, it shows you, how do you live? He was trying to live by American standards and they were running it on a uh, South American standard. We are living according to our God's rules in a world that does not accept his rules. We will look strange. We will look weird because we will are supposed to be following God's standards. And I come back to truth. God's standard in Deuteronomy, it says, if you don't tell the whole truth, you've lied. All right? Our courts make you promise to tell the, whole, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. The courts have you promise on God's standards, but then you talk to your lawyers. If you've ever been to court, your lawyer will tell you, don't say anything beyond what they ask you. Off the top of my head, no. We'll go back and look it up. <laughs> uh, so our courts, have you promised according to God's standards, and yet the lawyers will tell you to follow the world standard? And you know, this happens in all areas of our life. You know, what is common in America today, fornication, living together outside the bonds of marriage, is normal to most people, and God says fornication is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Hooking up is a sin. All these different things that he has out there, he says those are all sin. And the world will laugh at us when we hold a standard that says, I'm going to follow God. In each area that we follow God in, the world looks at us and they'll make fun of us. If you are amongst the, the non-Christians, you'll hear it all the time. Well, you're, and they may become a lot, well, you're just a goody two-shoes. You won't, you won't do anything wrong. You know, they're just trying to you know, poke you into doing something that, and then, you know, just like Satan, if you actually do something wrong, they, then they'll come back with, well, what kind of Christian are you? You know, you, you know first they're telling you you're, you're, you're too good for them, and then they're going to say, well, you really don't believe what you were trying to follow. So you, you aren't going to win, so you might as well stay following God and not give in to the, the criticism they give you. We, we look at this, and it says, verse 6, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all your covenants. I will not be ashamed when I have respect. I have this idea of clinging to and showing great pleasure and regard to his co commandments. He goes, I will not be ashamed. Have you ever been in a situation where you've done something wrong and ended up being ashamed? Whether it's the people around you making you ashamed, the Holy Spirit making you feel that, that conviction, you just go, how could I have done this thing? And you know, this should be what happens to us. When we sin, we should be convicted by the Holy Spirit to repent. Because if you can sin without being convicted by the Holy Spirit, then you have to go and really seriously ask yourself, am I a child of God? If I can sin and not be under conviction, I have to ask, am I his child? And then when you do, I really feel the Holy Spirit. Well, and then it's fine because you, then you just turn around you, and you repent and say, God, I'm sorry for doing this. Can you please forgive me? And you go back to trying to do it the right way. That is a good thing. The Holy Spirit does not condemn us. He, sure can, he convicts us to bring us into repentance. Condemnation will freeze us. Well, I am just a, I am a total loser. I can't. This is what the world does to you when you do something wrong. They try to condemn. You know, well, you're just such a loser. You can't, you can't do anything right. 
And we hear that kind of stuff, and we probably may even play it in our mind from family members who have said that kind of stuff to us in the past. Well, you just can't do things right. How many times did we ever tell our kids that, you know, when they've made the same mistake so many times, you know, you did this wrong again? You know, you, can't you get anything right? Maybe we heard it from our parents. <laughs> and, you know, those are things we remember for the rest of our life, and they will remember for the rest of their life. You know, condemnation does not get the right results. Conviction will lead us to repentance. And that's the Holy Spirit's job, is to convict of sin, so that we will then be driven to, convict, to repentance. Verse 7, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I have learned your righteous judgments. This is so precious. I learn God's rules. Then I turn around and I praise him with the uprightness of my heart. As I keep him, I will praise him because I am following his rules. And you know his rules are so wonderful. They'll keep you out of a lot of problems in your life when you follow his rules. If you're always telling the truth, you don't have to worry about somebody catching you in a lie. If you're always being honest and giving people back the stuff that, that you would normally have taken in, in your past life, then you don't have to worry about somebody accusing you of stealing. If you're always being honorable to your, to your spouse, you don't have to worry about ever doing something that will get you in trouble with that person. You know, if we follow God's rules, life is a whole lot easier. Now, the world may make fun of us. They may, the world might try to make us, but you know what? I've come to the place where I really don't care what the world wants to say to me because I don't care. They're not wanting me to follow God's rules, and I have learned the hard way that if I bend to them in what they think, they're still going to criticize me for doing the, doing, becoming like the world, and my heart will condemn me for trying to be like the world. You don't fit in anywhere at that time. You don't fit in with them because they know you're, they know you're a Christian and your heart tells you you don't belong there. I used to always try to please the world, not now, just the opposite. No, life is so much easier. It wasn't mm-hmm. even hard because you wanted to do what, no, I'm doing what is right in God's eyes. Yep. Verse 8, I will keep your statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. You know, I will keep your statutes. You know, the good news for us as Christians is God will not forsake us. He, we might lose fellowship with him if we have unrepented sin. If we continue in a sin, he will distance himself from us until we repent. But he will never forsake us if we're his child. Now, This is very important for us to understand. If we are his, he will not forsake us. He's just trying to bring us to him by putting distance between us. If you're not his child, that distance is permanent distance, and he he never accepted you in the first place, so he still hasn't forsaken you because he never accepted you. You And this is David's prayer. In Psalm 51, he said, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He goes, Then I will teach sinners in the way, and I will lead people to you. All right? The joy of the Lord motivates us to witness. It really does. If I am in a place where I am keeping his word, and I am joyful and obedient to him, it will motivate me to uh, try to bring others into that joy. And you know the good news is when you have that kind of lifestyle, people look at you and they see that lifestyle and they want what you have. It is amazing. People want what we have as Christians when we live it out in front of them. They may look at us very skeptically at first. They may not believe it's real at first. But they kind of really want it. They want to know what is this joy? What makes, what, why are you so happy? Why are you so content? And eventually they will be ready to listen to God's word and be looking at this. All right, the next set of verses is Beth. Now the word, the letter Beth in Hebrew represents housing, a house or inn. Uh, the word Bethel is the house of God. Bethel is house and God. And most of these verses are going to talk about being in uh, God. Verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way 
by taking heed thereto according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of, my, of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in all riches. I will meditate in your precepts and have respect unto your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So we look at this, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to your command, according to your word. Wherewithal shall a young man, and this literally means a lad, a youth, so somebody who is a novice. So many Christians are still a young man, a novice in their, in their walk with Christ. Wherewithal shall that novice cleanse their way, make pure? And it says, by taking heed according to your word. Heed. This is kind of interesting. The word in English is heed, but it really means by guarding according to your word. How do I, how do I establish and cleanse my way? I guard his word. I guard whatever he says, and I'm going to go, God, I'm going to grab hold of it. I'm going to put it in this room where it's not going to get lost. It's not going to be stolen. I'm guarding your word, and I'm regarding it. I'm going to apply your word. How do we cleanse our way? We get into his word. The power of God's word is amazing. It will change our lives if we get into his word, which is why I'm so adamant that I want to teach all the way through the scripture. Every word of God I want to be able to teach because that's the power. When I've shared with you, when you witness to somebody and they go, well, don't give me these Bible verses. I don't believe in the Bible. Give them the God's Bible verses anyway. Because it says his word does not return void. His word is the only powerful tool we have. It is the, the word that will cut to the very quick. We've been studying the evangelism procedure class. What do they teach us? To use the God's law. Have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you... Have you used God's name in vain? You know, have you committed adultery in your heart, murder in your heart? Are you covetous? Are you, do you have your own God? Have you created your own God in your heart? Whether they agree with him or not doesn't matter because his word does not return void. And the law of God works at the conscience because everybody knows that they have done wrong. Everybody knows that when you give them these commandments from God, that they are real and they know deep in their heart, whether they want to accept it or not, they know deep in their heart that those commandments are true. They know that they're not supposed to lie. They know they're not supposed to steal. They know that they're not supposed to take their, their best friend's wife or their homes or their, or their stuff, you know, it's their, or desire it. They know that that stuff's wrong intrinsically because God put a conscience in us. And how do we get to change? We get into his word. God's word teaches us according to your word. Verse 10 says, For with my whole heart I have sought you, O Lord, oh, oh let me not wander from your commandments. Oh, do we, search, do, we, do we search after God with our whole heart? The innermost being of who we are. And, God, and here he's saying, I, With my whole heart I have sought you. God, I am... I am out there seeking after you. I'm looking for you with everything I have in my heart. Oh, there's times when I do that and there's times when I don't do that. And it's true for each person that I, that I meet. Times when we search God, hopefully with our whole heart. But unfortunately, there's many times when we don't. And we need to be able to seek after God with our whole heart. Why? Because it says, oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Don't let me stray from your commandments. And how easy it is to stray from his commandments. You know, we, we think that we'll get over this idea of lying. You know, we, we try to teach our kids to tell the truth. Well, if you just tell the truth, you won't get into as much trouble as if you lie. Because now you're going to get in trouble for doing wrong and lying. But yet, don't we do the same thing as adults? Who broke this piece of machinery at work? And you know exactly who it, it was you that broke it, and you're not going to say a word. Because you don't want to be charged for breaking the, 
breaking it. You know, who did this? Who did that? And, you know, our tendency, if we're living in the flesh, is to not tell the truth. Not give the lie, you know, not, not speak the truth. You know, well, they won't miss it. They've got hundreds of, of boxes of paper clips. I can take the whole box and nobody's going to miss it. This company's rich. How do we, easy it is for us to justify the things that we do? It's so easy. It is so easy for us to justify, and God's saying, in, or we're hearing in this one, oh, don't let me wander from your commandments. God, help me keep your commandments. Verse 11, where your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. This is one of the reasons we're pushing this year for memorizing scripture. Put his word in our hearts so that when we are tempted to do wrong, his word comes up. His word is what reminds us. When somebody is tempted to have an affair, then they remember God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And if they can remember that, then they shouldn't go out and commit adultery. You know, it's pretty simple. You know, well, should I take this thing because nobody's here? It's a, it's a wallet with, with $5,000 in it and no ID. Should I take this wallet? Thou shalt not steal. You know, and if you remember that, the temptation is pretty much over. If you're truly going to hide God's word in your heart and want to live his word, his word comes back and he gives you commandments to how to live, how to do things. And so important for us to live in a way that says, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow all that you want. Why do I hide his word in my heart? That I might not sin against him. Sin is missing the mark. God has a mark out there. Now, you know, the funny thing about most Christians is they'll sin all the time because they don't even know the target. They don't even have a target to go shoot at because they're not getting to God's word. They don't even know that they've sinned because of this. Now, God says you're going to find out when you're standing before him. But if you've ever done archery or, or shooting with guns, you don't usually just go out and shoot the air. You, know, you shoot at something. You, know, you shoot at clay pigeons. You shoot at doves. You shoot at something. You shoot a target. You have something in mind when you're shooting or firing arrows or whatever. You know, it, and if you just go out and, let me go fire off six rounds on this gun. I'm not shooting at anything. I'm just firing off six rounds. Oh, boy, that was fun. It was real fun to just shoot off those six rounds. Well, it might be, but, you know, what did you, what did you accomplish? You know, no, we go out there and say, okay, I'm going to hit that tree. I'm going to hit that target. I'm going to hit something. And your goal is to hit something. When we get into God's word, he gives us a target to hit. And that's his obedience. We hide his word in our heart that we will be obedient. That I will do what he desires. That I will follow after his des desires. You know, when I get saved and the burden comes off of my back of sin, God says, now don't replace it. Go out and, and start living the way I, I'm expecting you to live. And we go out and we live. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us. And when we start to do wrong, he goes, uh-uh, nope, you can't do that. And you know what? Even if you don't purposely memorize scripture, the Holy Spirit's going to bring back scriptures that you've read to remembrance. Uh, you know that message that you heard three years ago where they quoted this verse and said, don't do this? And the Spirit grudges up the truth for you. Much easier, though, when you've memorized it and it makes it easier because it's on the forefront of your mind. Our verse that we're learning this month, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. How many times do we do things according to our own understanding? We don't put our trust in him. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. God wants to direct our paths. But to, for him to direct our paths, we go to part one. We lean not on our own understanding and go, God, what is it you want me to do in this situation? God, how do you want me to handle this situation? And we go out and we say, I want to follow you. God, I want you to be my, the one I follow. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. 
Do you realize that God wants to teach you his statutes? He wants to teach us. All we have to do is be willing to learn. Statutes is an interesting word. It means prescribed actions or tasks. God has given us instructions in the Bible for how we are supposed to act. We've talked about the one, go and make disciples. Be obedient. Confess your sins. You know, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. You want to be forgiven from all unrighteous? Confess your sins to Christ. And you will be forgiven of all unrighteousness and you will be brought back into fellowship with God. Confession and repentance are the strongest tool we have for a walk with God. God, I have done wrong. Please forgive me. You know, we, ask, you know, we, we look at it and go, how, how do we ask God to do this? The same way we would if we offended our spouse. If we offended our spouse and we go, please forgive me, and they're going, for what? You know, what is it? What, what are the hundred things that you've done do you want me to forgive you for? How many times did you, when you, when you had your kids, go tell your brother or sister you're sorry? And what did they go tell them? I'm sorry. Uh, what are you sorry for? Eh, that was a little harder to drag them out of. But are you really sorry for something if you won't identify what it is that you're sorry for? God wants us to confess. Agree with him that what we have done is sin. Confess our sins to him. God, I am so sorry because I did this, this, and this. Help me not do them again. I am turning to you and repenting from that and turning to you. Help me. Very important. God, teach me how to live the way you want me to live. The good news is God has a special plan for each one of us to be taught at the rate that we can handle it. And this is where we kind of get in trouble sometimes. We look around and say, well, God, you're not letting me do it. How come they seem to be getting away with it? And God's saying, I'm doing something else in their life. Or more importantly, he'll say, it's none of your business. <laughs> none of your business what I'm doing with them. You take care of your own life. And you know, if we would just take care of our own life and be taught by God to control our own life, we've got plenty of problems in our own life to be, we won't ever have to worry about other people and what they're doing because we'll be so busy taking care of our problems that we're not going to care how God's working with somebody else. And God is working with them. God is always working with his children. Whether it looks like it is, he is or not, he's working with his children. And you know what? He's working with the lost world as well. They are not happy with their sins that they're living in. They are under conviction even when they're not his children. This is why people will not be happy when they're making lots of money without, without God. They will not be happy with their stardom and their fame without God because it's not what they need. They may think, they may look, and they may act, but they are not happy at their innermost being. Which is why so many of the rich and famous get into drugs and alcohol and all these other things because they thought that what they wanted would get them happy and when they get it they're still not happy so then they start looking okay how else can I make myself happy how can I drown my sorrows in alcohol and usually that's what the alcohol is, is doing they're not even looking for peace in their drinking they're just looking can I forget for a couple hours usually it brings them all kinds of extra problems <laughs> when they're done with forgetting for, for a couple hours but for a couple hours they forget their problems. And God is saying, I just want you to come to me. And he's challenging his people, go talk to these people that look like they've got the whole world and they're happy. And they're not. Because without God, you're not truly going to be happy. Many people who have God can't find happiness because they're not content with, what, with God. They're always seeking something more. God, I want more. I want more. God, I, you know, and this is what happened with Jesus. Everybody wanted to follow Jesus, not because of what he taught them, not because of who he was, but because of what he did. He fed the 5,000, so they were looking, okay, God, feed us. He healed people. Okay, God, heal me. He did all these miracles, and people weren't following him because of who he was. They were following for what they could get. And then we as Christians should be following Jesus for who he is 
And when we follow him for who he is, we will get the things he can do for us. But we're following him for the right reason. And then whether I get it or not, I'm content. I've learned to be content with much and with little, Paul said. Why? Because his contentment was in Christ. And we see that contentment when he's thrown in the Philippian jail, prison, after having been beat, and at midnight, they're singing songs and hymns. You know, and of course, every one of us knows that that's exactly what we would be doing after we'd been beat and, and, and scourged. We would be singing hymns in the middle of the night, wouldn't we? You know, when we think about that, it was a pretty amazing thing because he was content. The disciples had one very strong view that they had. When they were scourged, when they were persecuted, their answer was, thank you, God, that I have been found worthy to suffer for you. How would that go over in our American Christianity? You know, uh, get saved and you're going to suffer. It's true. And it's what we should be say, saying. But in the long run, it's a get saved. They're also avoiding eternal suffering in hell. And that's what we teach them. You're going to suffer. We're taking you from hell into heaven. Now, this world is not going to be a perfect place. You're going to have some hard times in this world. But the end goal is not just having good times it is to go to heaven and not hell and so we teach people we teach people the word we watch how they're going to walk verse 13 with my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth do we declare God's word how do we share with people you know, do we go well you know and people you know and this is something you hear from a lot of Christians Somebody will come up to them, well, I watched what you did. You're, you're a terrible sinner. Well, God's going to forgive me. You know, what kind of testimony is that to people? Well, God's going to forgive me. Yes, it is true that God will forgive you if you repent and you turn and confess to him. But, you know, it might be better to go, you know, you know what, I am, I am so weak. You're right. I, I have sinned, and I've asked God to help me do better in the future. Does that have a different attitude in the witness that you have with people? Rather than just trying to excuse our errors, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm just human. Well, the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. And that's a true statement. But what does it tell people? It tells the world, you know, eh, if I make a mistake, it's no big deal. Because I'm just like everybody else, I'm just forgiven. But if you can go to somebody and they say, you know, well, I just watched you sin. Yeah, yeah I'm really sorry I, I made that sin. I've already told God, I've confessed to God, I've asked him to forgive me, and would you forgive me as well? Would that be a different way than trying to just excuse ourselves that we're weak, that we're, we're not perfect, which we know we're not? But if we say, well, no, nobody's perfect, we're excusing ourselves. But if we can just agree with him, you know what? Yeah, that was a terrible thing. I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? I've asked God to forgive me. Would you forgive me as well? What will that do to the lost person that you do that to? Or even the Christian you do that to? You know, if they want to condemn you and criticize you. You know what? You're right. I, I shouldn't have done that. You know, please forgive me. I've already asked God, or I'm going to ask God right now to forgive me. If we can do that, we're going to have a different testimony with the world. Because if we're just trying to excuse our actions, well, nobody's perfect, or, you know, well, that's just the way it is, the world looks at us and says, well, you're no different from me. But if you've asked them to forgive you, and it might, and if you really don't care, it could be something of, you know, that was a really a bad, that's really bad for my testimony, and I shouldn't have done that. Would you please forgive me so that I can live right, try to live right in front of you from here on? You're going to show them that you do have those standards. You want to be obedient to God. When we fail, and we go, you know what, I've asked God to forgive me. Will you, will you forgive me? It's a good statement. It's a very good statement with them. Make it honest. <laughs> don't, don't be saying it just to say the words. <laughs> Because people will know the difference. You know, when, when I teach people to answer phones in the workplaces, the one thing they always tell you is put a smile in your, on your face. And everybody says, well, they can't see me. I go, yeah, but they'll know whether you truly have a smile on your face when you answer that phone. How many times have you called a business and you just know that, you know, they're going, thank you for calling such and such place, and you just know that that person, you interrupted that person, and they are not wanting to talk to you at all. They said all the right words. But the attitude 
came right through the phone that you're bothering me. You know, you're bothering me. I have more important things to do than take care of this customer. When we're dealing with people, just knowing the words to say are not the right thing. We need to mean the words. If you're going to ask somebody to forgive you, make sure you mean, please forgive me. Because they'll know the difference. They will know the difference. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in riches. <laughs> I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony. God tells you what to do. Do you rejoice in what he tells you to do as if he'd given you a million dollars? That's quite a thought, isn't it? Yeah. Just a couple weeks ago, we had that lottery jackpot that was rolled up into the, I guess it almost hit a trillion. It got really close to the trillion mark. It was 800 or 900 billion uh, or million. It almost hit the billion mark, excuse me. It was a huge, huge thing. Everybody's talking about, what would I do if I won the lotto? Did somebody win it? Yeah, somebody finally won it. Oh. Uh, you know, nobody that I know, but, <laughs> but are we as rejoicing in God as the idea of having millions of dollars in the bank? Most people wouldn't give God most of the money anyway, so it's kind of, I don't see God giving most Christians the, the money because you'll hear it, well, if I won, I'd give God so much money, but they're not tithing already, so there's no way God, they would give God a tithe of the of the big check because there would be a large no amount of money. Yeah. So God's never going to give them. Now, could he give somebody who's tithing that kind of money? Maybe. But those people are also not going to be gambling usually <laughs> to try to get that big, uh, big thing. But it says here, I've rejoiced in the way, the walk of your testimony as much as in all riches. Do you talk about God's ways? Do you let people know that you are happy to be a follower of God? Yeah. Is it something that we talk about? Do we lift him up in all that we do? How many times have you been blessed by God and not shared it with people? You know, many of us might share it with a handful of Christians. But I've shared it with you. I used to love going into the restaurant and sharing with people, you know what God did this week? It was really wonderful. Let me tell you about what God did. And most of them weren't Christians. I've done it right in the prison with some people. Yeah, you know what God, you know, that was so, God did this this last week. And share with them. The world looks at you like you're a total nut, attributing your good fortune to God. Do I rejoice in his testimony, the way of his walk, as in all riches? We'll probably get more riches if we will be looking at everything he tells us to do better than anything that we have. And God is so good at what he gives us. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and have respect unto your ways. I will meditate. This is not the way the world thinks of meditate. Go in and, you know, and re re recite the same words over or concentrate on your belly button while you're trying to meditate on, the, on nothing. That is not meditation in God's, in God's way. To meditate literally means to muse on something, to ponder it, to study it. And the next thing that you do, you speak it out. You know, if you're truly meditating on something, you're going to talk about it to other people and see what they have to, because you're studying it. You want to know every bit of it, which is why I encourage people to read your Bible in the morning. Find something in that morning reading that you're going to meditate on all day long. Off and on, you don't have to be every, every second of the day meditating on that verse, but you keep coming back to it. You keep coming back to it. Teachers do this a lot. They're, they're studying something and they keep coming back. What am I going to teach about this? Each week I try to read the next section that I'm going to talk about a week ahead of time. doesn't mean I do all my studying, but I read it and I start thinking about it. What, God, what do you want me to say about this section? What do you want me to teach on this section? I may not finalize it until a day or two before, or maybe the same day, you know, but I'm thinking a little bit about it off and on. I'm musing on it. I'm, I'm speaking about it. I'll share with some other people sometimes and say, what do you think about this? How, you know, what do you think about that? And get their input. Meditate. I will meditate on your precepts. And this goes back to that rules of action. 
and rules of the behavior. God, I'm going to think about what you've told me to do. I'm going to muse upon it. And I'm going to take the next step beyond just musing about it. I'm going to start trying to apply it. How do we live for God? We spend our time meditating on him. We think about him. God, what is it you want me to do? I'm going to think about it. I'm going to act upon it. I'm going to move forward. And it is, I have respect unto your ways. Respect. I want to regard it. I'm going to think about his ways and respect them. I'm going to lift them up above what the world tells me to do. I'm going to, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your, high, your ways are greater than my ways, and they will always be greater than, than our ways. But I'm going to regard his ways. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to live the way he wants me to live. I will never get there. But, you know, the more you stretch and reach for something that's beyond you, the more you get closer to that target. When you're a runner, you know, you start running. And, you know, when you first start running, you don't even like to run a, run 100 yards or, or, or a half mile. But you keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. And you get faster. And you get more endurance. And you start, especially if you're a long-distance runner. You know, a long-distance runner, the, the person who's, who runs a marathon 26.3 miles does not just wake up in the morning on the first day they decide, well, I'm going to go run a marathon this morning. And they go run 26.3 miles. That is not how they do it. They start going out and they run a half mile. And they get used to being able to run a half mile. Then they run five, you know, a mile. Then they jump to three or four miles. They, they jump to five miles, 10 miles. They don't just go out and start running the 26.3 miles of a marathon. We in our Christian walk are not going to jump in and live God's way right off, right off the bat. Matter of fact, when we first start doing it, we're going to stumble and fall all over ourselves trying to follow his way. Because we need to learn. And then as we get, start doing it, he goes, okay, you've taken, you've taken the first step on it. We're going to raise the bar. You, you've learned to generally tell the truth. Now we're going to have you start always telling the truth. We're going to make sure that you tell the whole truth. And he keeps raising the bar. Have you noticed that as you study God's word, how he keeps raising the bar? Every time you think, okay, God, I've got it. I'm, I am here. And he goes, good job now. Let's take it to the next step. Let's take it to the next step. Jesus, in his walk, said, okay, you guys think you're doing good. You, you are physically keeping the law. You've not murdered anybody. So what did he say? If you are angry with a brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Man, did he take it a step further, didn't he? They were all thinking, well, God, I'm really good. I have never murdered anybody. He goes, yeah, you've been mad enough to murder, though. In your mind, you've thought about how you could murder this person if you could get away with it. And he's going, I want you to take it to the next step. Quit getting angry with your brother. Quit, quit committing the murder in your heart. Then he takes us to the next step. You gotta actually love them. <laughs> not just not get mad at them, but love them. <laughs> when you when you go from I really wanted to kill them to I love them. Once you get to that point, you'll do almost anything for that person to try to bring them to Christ. And God says, I'm gonna keep raising the standard, I'm gonna keep raising the bar, I'm gonna keep moving upward. And you're gonna think that you've done really good, but I'm gonna take you to the next step. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Delight. Do we delight in God's word? I can tell you, for most of my life, I have just loved to get into God's word and just share whatever I found. Driven my family nuts most of my life, you know, as I come out, you know what I found? And did it as a teenager, did it with my family as my kids were growing up. Hey, look at this, yo! Sometimes they'd get all excited about it. Most of the time they'd look at me like, okay, dad, whatever. Uh, but do we delight ourselves in his statutes, in his laws, in his ways? Or is it just, uh, I can take it or leave it. Delight. When we delight in his word, it's going to become real to us. When we delight in his word, it's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the way we act. And then he goes, not only will I delight it, I won't forget your word. Or specifically, it means I won't ignore your word. Not just forget, but ignore. It's easy to forget something. 
But you know, we only forget things that we're willing to ignore in the first place. I will ignore what I've heard. I'll pretend I never heard it. <laughs> you know, lots of people learn, you know, do that in school. Uh, the teacher teaches something and they just ignore it. Well, I know they said this, but I'm just going to not, I'm going to pretend I never heard it. God's saying, rejoice, delight in his word, and not forget his word. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to learn to delight in your word, to seek after you in all that you do, and to want to follow you, Lord. And help us to really delight and, and keep your word. In your son's name, amen.